awesome weather the last couple weeks. I have a few announcements this morning. Meeting reminders, Spiritual Council meets this Monday night, September 18th at 6 in the Ministry Center. Trustees meet at 7, Consistory at 7.30. If you're a Consistory member, your agenda and packet of information is up here on the front pew. Volunteers are still needed in the science school classes. Um, we've had a great problem this year. We've got huge classes, so we always need extra people to help. Awana registration is open. Awana is open to children preschool to sixth grade and will begin October 4th. You can find the link to register online in your bulletin, or there are paper forms at the info center. So at this time, let's greet our neighbors. Good morning. Welcome to our service at First Church in New Knoxville. We're really glad that you all decided to join us for worship this morning. We also want to extend a welcome to those that are listening on the radio and also watching online. Uh, we're starting our service a little bit off script this morning. Uh, last month, if you recall, we welcomed some new members into our church family, and there were a couple individuals who weren't able to be with us that morning. And so they're here with us today, and so we're going to invite them forward, and we're going to pray for them just as we did the other members last August when we had an opportunity to welcome them. So this time I want to invite forward Kyle Milhouse and Audrey Reinecke. These are two of our confirmation students from this past year, and um, it's been a really big blessing to get to know them over the last couple years in confirmation and to see them stand right up there um, in the spring and offer their faith statement and, and affirm their faith in Christ. And I'm really excited to see both of you taking this next step and choosing to uh, continue your walk with Christ by, by committing to membership here at First Church. And so I'm um, really grateful for that. And so as part of this process, we have a couple questions for you. Um, and if you guys don't mind following along with me on, their sheet, on that sheet of paper there um, and answer each of these questions. So Kyle and Audrey, do you confess, your, confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and pledge your allegiance to his kingdom? Do you receive and profess the Christian faith as contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments? And do you promise, according to the grace given to you, to live a Christian life and always remain a faithful member of Christ's holy church? And I invite you and, and everyone else here to hear our mission statement. This is uh, who we believe God is calling us to be as a church. Um, and so as I read this, I want you to think about your commitment to this. And of course, all of you gathered here today as, as members um, to reaffirm your commitment to this faith statement as well. First Church is a community of faith to engage biblical truth, to provide an environment where people mature as disciples of Christ. And to accomplish our mission, First Church will encounter our Creator, embrace Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and become His disciples, 
empower lives through God's living word, the Bible, to engage the Holy Spirit to provide guidance and direction, to encourage others to know Christ and strengthen their relationship with God, and to enrich the body of Christ by going forth and supporting fellow disciples. So now that you are becoming members of the church, do you promise to participate in the life and worship of the church and to live out this mission statement with the help of God to the best of your ability? Praise God. Will you join me in prayer as I pray for these two? Father God, I thank you for these two new members of our church, and we are grateful for their faith and their commitment to you. And we're grateful, Lord, that they have decided to join with us as members of this church and all that that entails. I pray that you equip them and empower them to live out their faith in their own personal lives as well as within this community of faith, Lord. And I pray that that we as a church family would also be able to come alongside them and support them as they seek to know and follow Christ in their own lives. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity as well to to remind ourselves of the importance of church membership, of, of committing to the local body of Christ. And that we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, are committed to one another to encourage and inspire one another another to follow you to the best of our ability. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, guys. You guys can go back and be seated. You can our worship. We'd ask all those that are able to stand and join in the call to worship. This morning, the call to worship comes from Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established, firm and secure. Your throne was established long ago. You are crowned all eternity. The seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up your voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Statues, Lord, and holiness adorns your house days. And now we will continue to stand and sing our worship songs led by the worship.
before you this morning, Lord, in prayer and give you thanks. We thank you for this beautiful morning you have provided for allowing us as a body of believers to come together, Lord, to worship you. For we are so blessed. You have provided so many blessings in our lives. And Lord, when we take time to just sit back and examine all that you have done for us, we are just in all of you, Lord. We thank you for everything which you have provided. We thank you for the communities you have placed us in. We thank you for this church family that you have blessed us with. Lord, we thank you for all the friendships, the family, the loved ones, the godly individuals you have placed in our lives. Lord, we thank you at this time for Pastor Joel and Pastor Tori and their teaching of your word. We thank you for Sharon and Beth and their gift of music and allowing the Holy Spirit to work through them to guide us in worship. We thank you for the minds you have given us for discernment, the hands and feet you have provided us to work for you in this world. Lord, again, we give you thanks for you have blessed us in so many ways. Lord, we're mindful of all these blessings that you have bestowed upon us. But we're also mindful, Lord, that we are sinners and we are living in a sinful world. For each one of us individually, through our words and our actions, and even sometimes our non-actions, we have sinned against you and we have all fallen short. It's embarrassing at times, Lord, to count our blessings, to see what you have done for us. And to know that time and time again, we turn our backs to you and we sin. But Lord, we know that through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, you have conquered sin. And that if we accept you as our Lord and our Savior, and if we believe in you and confess our sins, we know that you are faithful and that you are just. You will remove these sins from our lives. Help us to see the sin in our life at this time. Help us to let go of these sins. And Lord, we come to you in silence at this time, each individually, and lift these sins up to point them out to you, Lord, as you know they exist. Lord, We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, again, who came into this world, took sin upon his life on the cross. We thank you again for the blood of Jesus, which has washed us free of these sins. For we know that no sin is too great. No mistake we have made in our life is too awful to separate us from you. Lord, we all you ask of us is to accept you, to put you first in our life. And Lord, you do the rest. You have already conquered sin. We just need to make this commitment to follow you and ask for forgiveness. Lord, we know that as a result of living in a sinful world, we are faced with pain and heartache. And many in our congregation at this time and surrounding communities 
are facing tough times. Please provide comfort and healing to each of them in their lives. We also pray and continue to pray for the Paul family and all those families, Lord, who are mourning the loss of loved ones. For it's in tragic events like this that we are reminded that life is but a breath, and that this world is temporary. But Lord, in all the tragedies of this world, we look around and we see that you can work good things. So please bring peace and comfort to those who are struggling. For, Lord, we know that we can trust and lean on you in these times. I pray for the rest of our service here today, Lord, that you would just bless our time together. You would open our hearts and our minds to what it is you need us to hear and need us to see today. And we ask all this in your son, Jesus Christ's name, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now at this time, have the children come forward for children's chat. How's it going? Good. How's school? Good. You guys like your teachers? Yeah? Good. I'm so, so glad. Alright, a couple more coming. Yeah. Okay, so today I want to talk to you guys about a guy named Nicodemus. Does anybody know who Nicodemus is? Anybody know? Well, he was a religious leader back in Jesus' day, and he, he wanted to know more about Jesus, and so he decided to come talk to Jesus at night. And as he was talking to him, he, Jesus said something to Nicodemus, and he couldn't quite understand it. He told Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And Nicodemus was really confused by this because he couldn't understand how someone could be born again. And so to this day, some people have a hard time understanding how that's possible. So this morning, I brought something to help us understand what Jesus was talking about when he says you must be born again. Okay, so I have a butterfly here. It's beautiful, right? Beautiful butterfly. Does this butterfly start out as a butterfly? No, what does it start out as? A caterpillar, yes. Now, some people might think that caterpillars are kind of cute. They're fuzzy, you know. Some people, like me, don't really love caterpillars. Uh, But what happens to the caterpillar? It turns into a butterfly. How does it do that? It goes into, wow, that's fancy science term right there. It goes into a chrysalis, yes. You watched them change? That's so cool. So it goes into a cocoon, right? And in that cocoon, the the, um, caterpillar basically becomes like goo. And then it forms back into a butterfly, or into a butterfly, a brand new creation, right? And so when it comes out, it comes out all beautiful. It goes from caterpillar to butterfly, right? Now, God didn't just take the caterpillar and just like stick wings on it, right? It had to become a whole new creation, right? And this is a really good picture of what Jesus meant when he said we have to be born again. The Bible says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. So when we invite Jesus Christ into our lives and we ask him to be our Lord and Savior, we are born again. We're made completely new. Now, we might not feel new like on the outside, we might not feel like we look new, um, or you know things haven't really changed physically, but on the inside, we are made brand new, and the Holy Spirit comes, and he lives inside of us when we are born again. And then, after we're born again, we have access to Jesus 24-7, right? We can talk to him no matter, all, all the time, we have the Holy Spirit living within us, and he helps us to become more and more like Christ each day. And you know, another really cool thing about being a Christ follower is that God made it really easy for us to come to Jesus. 
He made it really easy. If you don't know Jesus, he said, I'm going to make this as simple as possible for you. And so there are three things that we need to do if we want to become a born-again believer. The first is we need to say, I'm sorry. We need to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I am a sinner. Does everybody sin? Yeah, everybody sins, right? And I need you to save me because we can't save ourselves. Only Jesus can, right? And so we need to ask for forgiveness and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me of my sins. The second thing we have to do is we have to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again for us. And then the third is ask Jesus to be our Lord and Savior and make him number one in our lives, right? It's so easy. So if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't asked Jesus into your heart today, I would invite you to do that this morning. It is really simple. It is, Lord, I'm sorry. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and I want to make you Lord and Savior of my life. Just that easy, right? And that, when you do that, you become a born-again believer. And then Jesus takes over, and he starts making you into that new creation and helping you to live as a believer in Jesus Christ. It's a really cool adventure, guys. I can promise you that. So would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for these young hearts and minds that are sitting up here, Lord. God, I pray that if there is anyone here that does not know you, Lord, that they would come to you, that they would say that they are sorry, that they would invite you into their lives, believe that you died on the cross for their sins, and that they would make you Lord and Savior of their lives. Father, we thank you that you make it so easy for us to come to you and to start and begin that relationship with you. And Lord, I ask that you would put it on our hearts this morning that if we don't know you, that we would come to know you today. We love you and we thank you for all that you are and all that you do. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Tori. You guys can head back to your seats. Thank you all for coming up here and joining us for Children's Chat. And as the choir comes forward, I just want to take a moment and uh, share with you, remind you what our offering is for this morning. Today's offering is going to go to support the General Operating Fund here at First Church in New Knoxville. Um, so all your gifts this morning will go to support that, um, the continued uh, ministry here at First Church. I um, also want to just point out, I know the announcement said it this morning, but uh, Sunday school is up in full swing and we're really grateful for that. The next thing that's uh, going to happen here soon is, is Awana starting up here in just a few short weeks. The first Wednesday in October is when we're planning to start Awana up again, and that's for pre-K through sixth grade students. And registration is open. You can find paper copies here at the church, or you can register on our website, firstchurchnk.org. Um, it's a great opportunity here at the church. So I want to encourage you to, to check that out as well. And at this time, I want to invite the deacons to come forward to collect the offering.
Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the joy of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray together again. Lord God, we are so grateful that we have the opportunity to gather as a church family and worship you today. Let us not take it for granted, Lord, what a blessing that is to be with your people in your house and worshiping you, Lord, and hearing from your word. I pray now as we study Second Corinthians chapter 3 and its, and its application for our lives, that your spirit would move in this place. I pray you open up the hearts and minds to all who hear, Lord, whether in the sanctuary, listening on the radio, or watching online. And I also pray, Lord God, that you give me words to speak, words that are honoring and pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, I don't think I could do much better intro this morning for my sermon than what Pastor Tori did with Children's Chad with the butterfly. In fact, that was on my mind because Josephine's class at New Knoxville has been watching caterpillars, right, transform into butterflies these last couple weeks. Um, so she didn't know the word chrysalis from conversations at home, right? That was something she learned at school. Um, but, but I think there's no better picture in nature as to what God does for, for new believers than the picture of a caterpillar transforming into a butterfly, right? A completely new creation. Uh, and, and there's, and it's a new creation that, that is completely different than the old one. As Pastor Tori said, uh, a butterfly isn't just caterpillars with wings slapped onto it, right? It is a whole new creature that only comes about because of the transforming power of that chrysalis and what takes place in there. In fact, the word that Paul uses here in 1 Corinthians 3 to, that is translated transformed in our, in our English Bibles is the word metamorphosis, right? And a metamorphosis is a complete and total change, and it's a permanent change, right? A, a butterfly can't go back to being a caterpillar, right? No matter how hard you try, you can't do it. Right? It's a, it's a complete and it's a total transformation and it is a change that is permanent and lasting. And I think that's such a, a great picture, which first of all, we must acknowledge how wonderful it is that God gives us illustrations like that in His creation to help us understand spiritual truths, right? The, the image of a caterpillar being transformed into a butterfly is exactly what He does for us in a spiritual sense when we are made new in Christ. When we put our trust in Him, He, he removes our sin from us and, and gives us a righteousness that is not of ourselves. And in that same way, we are new creations. And Paul will even say that just a couple chapters later in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, there, you are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. But here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he's talking about kind of how that transformation takes place. And he, and he compares this new covenant to the old covenant. And, it, and it's important that we unpack that for just a moment, just as Paul does here. But the big idea of this section of Scripture is that under this new covenant, born-again believers are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
again, under this new covenant that was initiated in Christ and his death and his resurrection, believers are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit into his image. And so first we must talk about the the difference between this old covenant and the new covenant. And Paul here is referring back to an, an episode in Exodus when Moses first received the law from the Lord on Mount Sinai. In fact, because I know all of you take diligent notes and go back and listen to sermons over and over again, I actually preach from this passage all the way back in February as we've been before. But just a quick recap for those of you who might not have been here that morning. Uh, When Moses would go up onto Mount Sinai and receive the law from the Lord, he came back down and his face was shining with the glory of God. It was radiant, right? It was like a, a, a light just projecting from him. And as he went down to talk to the people and and give them the law, they were afraid. They were uh, worried about what this would mean for them. And so as an accommodation, Moses put a veil over his face to hide that glory. That was a human accommodation. Moses became a mediator between God and the people and between people and God. And that veil as Paul says, it, it dulled their minds, it, it blinded their eyes, so they couldn't see the full glory of God. So that's what Paul is talking about here when he's talking about Moses in the veil. He's referring back to that episode all the way back in Exodus 34. But in these first few verses, verses 7 through 11, he's comparing this old covenant represented by the law on Mount Sinai with the new covenant that is initiated through Jesus in the, in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And there's three things he says here. And first of all, before we talk about those three things, it's important to note that he's not saying that the old covenant is bad or that the old covenant is no longer important because we believe that the old covenant is fulfilled in the new. In fact, he says here that there is glory in the old covenant. That's why Moses' face was shining when he came down from Mount Sinai. But it was a glory that you can see that does not compare with the glory that comes from through the new covenant. And so the first difference that Moses, or excuse me, that Paul notes is that the old covenant was written on tablets of stone, but the new covenant is, is brought through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So when Moses first came down from Mount Sinai, those ten commandments were written on tablets of stone. It was an external law that God's people were expected to conform to. But with the new covenant, that law is no longer external, but it is internal. It is now written on the hearts of God's people through the work of the Holy Spirit. But that really isn't a New Testament idea. That idea of the new covenant and God's Spirit writing the law on our hearts goes all the way back to the Old Testament. For example, in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 33, he says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, there's that word, new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel. After after that time, declares the Lord, I will put it on their hearts, I will be their God, and they will be my people. Excuse me, I will put it, the law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. So there's the prophet Jeremiah speaking to God's people all the way back in the Old Testament, centuries before the birth of Christ, talking about this new covenant that God is going to establish with his people where it will no longer be an external law that is impossible to, stand, to, to fulfill, but it will be an internal law written on our hearts by the presence of the Holy Spirit so that we may live according to it. You see, with the, with the external law, there is no power, right? God does not provide the, did not provide the power needed to fulfill it. But with the Holy Spirit, He does. He empowers us and equips us to live for Him. And He enables us to truly live out the law in our own hearts, in our own minds, in our own lives. The second difference that Paul notes here between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant 
is that the old covenant uh, brought condemnation and death, whereas the new covenant brings righteousness. Now, it may seem strange to say that the old covenant, the law of Moses, brought condemnation and death, but Paul builds on this idea in Romans when he says that the purpose of the law was to make us aware of sin. He says that in Romans chapter 3. The purpose of the law was to make us aware of our sin. It's not that we weren't sinful before the law, or it's not that we're not accountable for our sin if we don't know the law, but it is the law that makes us aware of our sin. It, it puts up this holy standard that God has established for his people. And it makes us aware that we fall dreadfully short of that standard. And so the law brings condemnation and death because it makes us aware of just how much we need a Savior. It makes us aware of just how much we, how short we have fallen from the glory of God. The new covenant, however, brings righteousness. That though we are sinners through Christ and His sacrificial death on the cross, we are now forgiven. Again, just a couple chapters later in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul sums up this reality for us in, in chapter 5, verse 21. He says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Think about what he's saying there in that one verse. He said, God made him who had no sin, Jesus, who was the perfect person, who never sinned, Jesus became sin for us. In other words, he took our sin upon himself on the cross so that when he died, that punishment for sin was fulfilled. The penalty, the price was paid. So he took our sin upon himself and in return, we receive his righteousness that we might become the righteousness of God. So in Christ's death and his resurrection, not only is our sin forgiven, but then we are given the righteousness of God. And as Paul says elsewhere in Philippians chapter 3, he said it's a righteousness that comes by faith. It's a righteousness that is received by faith, by trust in the Lord. It's not earned by conformity to an external law, but it, is, it has been earned for us through Jesus' perfect obedience and a sacrificial death. And so that is why the new covenant brings righteousness. And the third thing that Paul notes here in 2 Corinthians uh, 3, 7 through 11 is that the old covenant was transitory while the new covenant is lasting. So the old covenant was transitory. And, and what, it, what we mean by that is that, that it was not meant to last forever. So in the Old Testament, the, the priests in the temple had to continually offer sacrifices day after day in order to atone for people's sins. And every year they had to have one uh, big festival called the Day of Atonement where sacrifices were made for the sins of all of God's people throughout that year. But it was a system that needed to be repeated over and over and over again in order to accommodate the sin of God's people. But it was also transitory or temporary in the sense that it was not meant to last forever. But the Old Covenant... And the law was meant to point us, prepare us for the coming of Christ. If, if, this, if the law was, made, was given to make us aware of our sin, then it was given unto us so that it would prepare our hearts and minds for our Savior. Right? If we sin and we fall short of God's glory, and that applies to every single person that's ever lived besides Jesus, then it, then it is preparing us to receive that Savior that we need. Jesus, the Messiah. But the new covenant is permanent. The new covenant lasts forever. As, we, as, we, as I noted earlier when we were talking about that idea of transformation and metamorphosis, the change that God desires to do in your life is not trans over again, but it is a lasting, permanent change that takes place in a person's heart. It's not an external change like that caterpillar becoming a butterfly. There's not a physical difference that anybody can note in your life but it is a real, lasting, spiritual, internal change that takes place. And that is the, the change that God desires to do in your life. That is the greater glory that lasts. So the question remains then is, what does that mean for us then? How are we supposed to respond to what 
uh, what Paul is teaching us here in Second Corinthians chapter three, verses seven through eleven. Well, that's what he goes on to talk about for the rest of the chapter. He says in verse twelve, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away, but their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. So even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So if this greater glory with the new covenant that is, that is from the Spirit, that is lasting, that brings righteousness, right? how are we supposed to respond? Well, Paul says here that we are to live with unveiled faces. So again, think back to, think back to the uh, story that he's referencing back in Exodus chapter 34 with Moses going up onto the mountain. When he spent time in the Lord's presence, he would his face would begin to glow with the glory of God. And, and so to accommodate God's people and their fear that he would put a veil over his face. And that veil worked two ways, though, didn't it? The veil prevented the people from seeing the glory of God, right? It, it, it acted as a barrier between the glory of God and the people of God. But it also prevented the glory from, from shining forth. It hid the glory of God behind that veil. So it worked two ways. But now, Paul is saying, we as born-again believers in, under the new covenant, we no longer need that veil. It is no longer necessary. In fact, he says here that it has been removed from our faces. And that's the first thing we must understand in, in response to the glory of the new covenant is that we can't remove the veil ourselves. That apart from Christ, that veil remains so that no matter how much you read the scriptures, no matter how many times you attend church, no matter, no matter how long you've been a member of a certain church or attended Sunday school, right, that veil is going to remain until Christ removes it from you. Because he says here in verse 14, only in Christ is it taken away. That's part of that transformation that we were talking about earlier that Pastor Tory was telling the kids about. That when you put your trust in Christ, when you accept Him as Savior and Lord, that veil is removed. It is no longer necessary. But it is Jesus through His death and His resurrection. It is His Holy Spirit by, by softening our hearts and minds that removes that veil from us. So that we can truly, once again, see the glory of God as we were meant to in the beginning. And so Christ removes that veil. And uh, in the Gospels, there's this great picture of this in, at the, the moment of Jesus' death on the cross. In the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, when Jesus dies on the cross, at that very moment, it says that the curtain in the temple is torn in two. Now that curtain in the temple that, that separated the Holy of Holies, the most holy place in the center of the temple, from the rest of the area, it served as a veil, right? It's, it was a barrier between the focal point of God's presence among his people, the Holy of Holies, and everyone else. And no one was allowed to go into that area except on one day of the year the high priest would go in and make atonement for the people. But when Christ died on the cross at the moment of his death, it says a, a great earthquake shook Jerusalem and, and that curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. It seems like a, a fairly insignificant detail if you're not familiar with the purpose or the function that that curtain served. But if we understand that as, as the barrier that separated the holiness of God, the glory of God from his people, then we realize just how important that is. In the moment of Christ's death, when he atoned for our sins, that barrier was removed. The, the curtain was torn in two. The veil was taken off. And so now through Christ... We have direct access to the Father. We can truly see and experience God's glory in a new and profound way because Christ is our mediator. We no longer need someone like Moses to, to, as a go-between between, between uh, God and his people, but we have direct access to the Father through Christ 
in the presence of his Holy Spirit. And that is available to all believers, no matter where you are, no matter when uh, you pray. We have direct access to the Father through Christ. And so in Jesus, that, that veil is removed. And that is something that he does on our behalf when we put our trust in him. The second thing that Paul says in these closing verses is that we now, because our faces are unveiled, we can be bold. And we can let the glory of Christ shine through us. Right? We no longer have to hide behind it. We no longer have to, uh, we no longer uh, have to keep that glory hidden. But in Christ, we can let His light shine so that others may see it. Earlier this summer, Allie and I took the kids down to Columbus for a, a show. We went and saw uh, the Frozen Broadway musical down at the Ohio Theater down in Columbus. And it was a, a really good time and the kids enjoyed it. It was their first time, you know, at a, at a live production like that besides just high school plays and stuff. And it was really great. Um, and the thing is, when you go to a live production like that, there are spotlights positioned throughout the theater, Right. And at the start of the show, those spotlights kick on and they shine down on the stage in order to draw everybody's attention to it. When the spotlights came on at the Ohio Theater that night in Columbus, nobody turned around and looked up at the spotlight to see where it was coming from. Right? All the attention went on the actors on the stage. It was a sign that the show had begun and all the focus went forward. In Christ, we are called to be spotlights for him. In Christ, as we, as we are transformed into His image and as we let His light shine through us, we act as spotlights, not to draw attention to ourselves, but to shine the spotlight on Christ. We let God's light shine through us so people can see the glory of Jesus. That's what Jesus meant in Matthew chapter 5 when He says, You are the light of the world. He said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. See, we're called to be spotlights. We're called to shine so that people, it's not so they see us, it's so that they see Jesus. They see the goodness of God. They see His faithfulness. And when they see that shining in our lives, then they will glorify the Father who is in heaven. We have a responsibility to be spotlights and shining the light on Jesus. And so when we are bold, it means that we are going to live for Christ in whatever circumstance or context He's placed us in. If you're a student, it means living for Jesus in your schools. And if you're working, it means shining the light of Christ in your workplace. And you may not be able to be uh, forthright, right? You can't necessarily stand up on your lunch break and start preaching the gospel, but, but the way that you live your life, the way that you treat others, and those opportunities that you are given can be uh, a way to shine the spotlight on Jesus with your workers, with your coworkers, And of course, with your families, with your friends, with your neighbors, God has given us an abundance of opportunities to shine the spotlight on Him if only we are willing to take them. And one more thing about boldness before we move on. It's important that we are bold in our prayers for other people. Because if we believe that only in Christ the veil is removed, if we believe that only through a saving relationship and saving faith in Christ that that veil is removed, then we should be bold to pray for unbelievers in our lives that they may see Jesus for who He is. That their veil would be removed. If we're to just move a little bit further on, again, I've referenced a couple other passages in 2 Corinthians, but if you have your Bibles open, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, right after this conversation about uh, the veil being removed and, and being able to see the glory of God. Paul then goes on to say this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. He says, and even if our gospel is veiled, right, there's that veil word again, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age, which is a reference not to the Lord, not to Jesus, but to the enemy, to Satan. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. 
So if unbelievers have this veil over their spiritual eyes, if they're not able to see the glory of God in Christ, if they're not able to see and understand the truth of the gospel, and if it's only in Christ that that veil can be removed, then we should be bold in praying for people that their eyes would be opened. We should be bold in praying that God would make himself known to people so that they can respond in faith and see Christ for who he is. And that comes through the faithful prayers of his people. Spiritual blindness is often used as a metaphor. And uh, if you go back to Acts chapter 9, when Paul encounters, right, Paul who wrote this letter, encounters Jesus on the Damascus Road, he is blinded for three days. And it is not until a faithful believer named Ananias prays for Paul that he receives a sight and his scales fall from his eyes. He was spiritually blind, but through the prayers of a faithful believer, his eyes were opened to see the glory of Christ. And so lastly, our, our, going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we're called to, to let Jesus remove that veil. We're called to be bold. And finally, we're called to con- be transformed by contemplating the Lord's glory. Now I have to ask Jojo up here for a moment. I asked her if she could help me out with something here. I brought a mirror from home. Because I want you, Jojo, take a minute and just look in there and tell me what you see. You see yourself, of course, right? What about yourself? What do you see on, what do you see about yourself? You can see the clothes that you're wearing, yeah. And your shoes. You can see your face, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, there's parts of you that you can see. Just by looking at them, right? You can look at your arms. You can, you can look at your clothes and what you're wearing. But can you see your face without the use of a mirror? Can you see your face right now? No. You need a mirror to be able to see your face, to know what you look like. So, thank you, Jojo. So, the reason I bring this up is because that word that Paul uses, again, I keep coming back to the Greek for our help today, but that word contemplate is a word that's used here and nowhere else in the New Testament. And, and the best understanding we have is that it means to gaze at yourself in a mirror. And when you look at yourself in a mirror, you are looking at yourself and, and, and sometimes you see things that need to be fixed, right? You see things that can be improved. Um, you see yourself for who you truly are. But the interesting thing that I realized this week is that nobody can physically see their own face. Yes, you can see it in a reflection, and yes, you can see it in a picture, but it is impossible for someone to, to gaze upon their own face, right? It is, it is, you need a mirror, you need some sort of reflective surface in order to see it for yourself. But when Paul uses this word, he's not saying that we contemplate our own image. He says that we are transformed when our unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. So just as a person looks in a mirror, just as I asked Jojo to describe herself when she looked into a mirror, we are called to gaze at the glory of God. We're called to contemplate it. We're called to look at it so that we may know and understand it for ourselves. Just as we look into a mirror to to see our own image and know ourselves better and know what we look like, we are called to gaze into the glory of God. We're called to look at him and and contemplate his beauty, contemplate his goodness, so that we can become more like him. James chapter 1 says that when we read the perfect law that gives freedom, in other words, when we read the word of God, it's like looking at ourselves in a mirror. And it's his word that helps us to see us, see ourselves for who we truly are, but also, perhaps more importantly, see God for who He is. Because it's in His Word that He makes Himself known. It's in His Word that His glory is revealed because it's His Word that points us to Jesus. And it's His Word that says that Jesus is the glory of God. Hebrews 1, chapter 3 says that, that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being. And the way that we know Jesus, the way that we can see God's glory and contemplate it, is by knowing His Word and by studying it for ourselves. And in closing, I want to point out one more thing. We've talked about the the transformation that takes place, that permanent change. But notice here at the end, it says that it is is done in ever-increasing glory. 
See, when we put our faith in Christ, there's, there is an instantaneous change. We are made new. The, the old is gone and the new has come. We are made new and we are in Christ. But there is a, also a change that takes place over time. And that's what Paul's getting at here. Is that the more we focus on the Lord, the more that we are bold, the more that we put our trust in Christ, we are going to grow more and more into His image with ever-increasing glory. It is a process that takes place over time. You know, we, we want instantaneous change, don't we? You know, it would be so much easier as, as if the moment we put our, uh, put our trust in Christ, all sin is gone, uh, all temptation is gone, all, all the, the struggles and difficulties of life are gone, and we could just be perfectly obedient to Jesus, right? That would be easy. And that's what we want. But what we get instead is, is yes, we are made new. We are, we are saved. We are redeemed. We are children of God because of Christ's death and his resurrection. But then we spend a lifetime living into that. Learning to live as new creations. Learning to, as, as a caterpillar must learn how to fly as a butterfly, right? We learn to live into who God has already called us to be. So yes, your identity in Christ is secure. Your salvation in Christ is secure. But we have the privilege of, of spending a lifetime learning to live into that. Learning to live it out. And it is, the, it is the Spirit of God that helps us to accomplish that. Thank you. Thank you, Lord God, that you do not leave us as we are, but you transform us into ever-increasing glory, which is your image, and it is a gift from you. Help us, Lord, to live into that this day and every day of our lives. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we close our service of worship today. I invite you to stand and sing our closing song with us, Hymn of Heaven. How I long to breathe the air of heaven Where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets To look upon the one who bled to save me And walk with him for all eternity Sing worthy is the Lamb 
shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace.